You cannot lose games in the NFL and still win. One day I understand. One day go see the baby be born and come back. You're a major league baseball player. Did I not tell you? Yes, you did. Oh, see, don't answer. I mean, this, these are all rhetorical questions because you know I told you and you know I'm not. Analytics don't work, don't work at all. It's just a crap to some people who were really smart made up to try to get in the game because they had no talent. This kid is a gamer. He's a follower. He's a playmaker and a shot caller. In case you didn't know, I got T-Bow. He shattered the mold. And all he does is win. All, all he does is win. Hello and welcome to Hot Takedown, 538 Sports Podcast. I'm Chad Matlin, an editor at 538. With me in the studio, it's the full crew, Neil Statman Payne. Hi, Neil. Yo, what's up? Yo, what's up? Yo, what's up? <laughs> Perhaps the only time you've ever said that to me. Possibly. I was our... just feeling it. You know, I heard the theme song and I, I was, you know, getting sentimental about the fact that we won't be hearing it anymore, at least in its current incarnation. Yes. A reminder for hyped. listeners, this is our second to last show. We remain sad and torn up about it. I remain like not wanting to say it out loud because it feels like it'll make it real. If you missed out on last week's show, we're not long for this world, but a new podcast is coming with Neil Kyle Wagner and Chris Herring of 538. It's an NBA-only podcast. And Neil's the host. Neil's the host. Yeah. So exciting. Neil and I have been doing uh, like Karate Kid montage kind of reps, (laughs) you know, in the background to make sure that he's he's ready to go. Doing a lot of balancing on, you know, objects. (laughs) Well, the mic hit your head. Is that a Fitbit that I see you wearing? Yes, that is correct. How long have you been wearing that? Or is it just since you started training to be a podcast host? (laughs) Well, since I was training to podcast host. No, probably uh, five months or so. It's the first time I've noticed it. Yeah. (laughs) That other voice you hear is Kate Fagan, ESPNW columnist and Hot Take Down's senior Eli Manning biographer. Kate, Mm -hmm. how is your next book going? Is Eli being cooperative, you know, in your retelling of his story, no. or is it is it so? It's uh, an unauthorized biography. Well, he authorized it, but then he's been playing so poorly, and also the Giants have been losing, and he doesn't want to do our sit down interviews after losses. I can understand that, so it's been a challenge booking his time. So his quotes are all no comment to, to his no, own. But biographer. I'm like, but, but what happened when you were 12? No comment. I mean, it's just, you can't get anywhere with. And this what guy. happened last night shouldn't matter with what happened when he was 12. Exactly. Just be be an open book here. You're gonna have to go through Archie. Have to go through Peyton and Archie, and the other brother, the other one. <laughs> the one whose name no one remembers. Cooper. Cooper. Uh, Even I had to search the recesses <laughs> to find that. We're gonna talk a little bit more about Eli in just a minute, but on today's show, the main topic will be whether or not football is broken. Two weeks have elapsed in the NFL, and they have been an ugly two weeks with a lot of games that have ended in. If not quite blowouts, but you know more than a touchdown, so they haven't been tight. Quarterback play is being blamed. Offensive line play is being blamed. What's wrong with football? Is anything actually wrong with football? We'll discuss. And then a significant digit about the streaks that we talked about last week, the baseball streaks we talked about. All right, let's talk about Eli, who leads the New York football giants. And uh, those football giants lost last night on Monday Night Football to fall to 0-2 on the season, the rest of the division is one and one, so they are already behind. These are Kate's beloved Giants. Let me just read you out Eli Manning's line from the game. 22 of 32, 239 yards, 70% completion rating, and a touchdown, interception, and an 88 passer rating. To me, that doesn't sound like an awful game, and yet I woke up to headlines that were all about how Eli Manning is holding the Giants back. Ben McAdoo, the coach of the Giants, is blaming Eli Manning for messing up some some time management and having a delay of game late in the game. Kate, 
Yeah. I mean, as someone who's chronicled Eli's career, what's going on with Eli Manning? This is always Eli Manning. <laughs> if you're telling me, like, a delay of game and poor time management, like, that sounds like Eli Manning six years ago and eight years ago. Like, Eli Manning, to me, and I don't think this is a good thing. I've never been, like, Eli Manning is amazing. I haven't been that Giants fan. To me, he's the equivalent, and we talked about this last week when it came to baseball, he's the equivalent of, like, a baseball club where they're mostly mediocre save for their hot streaks and their cold streaks. Like most quarterbacks in the NFL, at least the good ones, perform at a relatively high consistent pace if you're talking about like the elite level quarterbacks. Eli Manning's never been that. He's been the guy who's like 99% of the time mediocre, but he's been defined by those streaks that he has. And he happened, I don't know if it's luck or if he has something else, intestinal fortitude, but his streaks and the times he's played well have happened to coincide with the key points of the season. And, like, that's always been the case for Eli Manning. That's how I view him. Yeah, and, you know, last night's game was a case where you, you look at the passer rating, like you mentioned, Chad, and you think, what? why is there criticism? I mean, 88 passer rating, that's pretty good. Until you realize that the average passer rating last season, for instance, was 87.6, and this year... In the, the league? In or the whole what? league. Uh, and, and this year it's slightly down but still 85.8. So he had basically an average game by passer rating. Uh, passer rating famously doesn't take into account sacks, which Eli Manning had five of last night, and we know that sacks are mostly the responsibility of the quarterback from research that's been done. And no, I didn't know that. I did we like not talk about this on stats I honestly feel like that's an entire segment you just introduced. <laughs> did we not talk about this Because you're like, he had school? five sacks, I'm like... Am I blaming Eli Manning for getting sacked? Yeah, so uh, a lot of people have looked into this, and they found that really sacks carry over from, uh, between different teams, different offensive lines for a quarterback. They belong a lot more to a quarterback than I think uh, people in the past believed because it's about you know awareness, situational decision-making, all those things that we talked about earlier with Eli Manning. Now, I should it bears mentioning that Eli Manning traditionally has been above average at avoiding sacks, so this is isn't sort of like, oh, classic Eli takes a lot of sacks or whatever, but it is a case where, you know, in, in addition to the sacks, he also, uh, his some of his clutch-weighted stats in the game, uh, which goes to what you were mentioning, Kate, earlier, were, were not, you know, as good as his overall numbers would suggest. And so like, like giving time? more, yeah, weight to crunch time moments, and that's why if you look at his points above average, according to ESPN's QBR, he was three points worse than average, which was 32nd out of the 38 quarter quarterbacks in week two of the NFL. So it was basically he was worse than Andy Dalton and slightly better than Case Keenum to get to give you right where I like my quarterback. Uh, yeah, that's where you want your quarterbacks to be. But really in that kind of zone, you know, it's a little unfair that particular zone is, is lower than Eli has been his whole career, but he hasn't been that much higher than that over his career in terms of his placement within the stratum of, of NFL quarterbacks. And yet, you know, because of those two Super Bowls. So it, covers a lot of flaws. And speaking of our, our colleague, our, our boss, Nate Silver at 538, wrote an article in 2015 trying to figure out who the most clutch quarterbacks of all time were in the postseason. Mm-hmm. So relative to what our expectations would be of how good their team was uh, going okay. into the postseason, okay. who overachieved based on that, that baseline, basically. And sure enough, Eli <laughs> Manning is at the top of a list of 180 postseason quarterback since 1970 and so Manning there was uh, Manning's uh, at the time of this writing was eight and three in the postseason was projected 
in those games, it doesn't quite work because he wouldn't be in later games if he lost games before then, obviously. But in those games, he should have won four and lost seven, mm-hmm. but instead won eight and lost three. And the probability of achieving that record by chance with just like a, a random quarterback also going eight and three when they should have gone four and seven was only one percent, suggesting that there is something in Eli Manning that's special. But Kate, you can't get to the postseason if you're playing up and down during the regular season, can you? I guess we've had that conversation a yeah. few times. Well, what, what popped into my mind was that let's take a moment from last night's game where Eli was in trouble. He ended up taking a really bad hit, and he kind of just floated the ball up, and Sterling Shepard caught it. I don't know if you remember this play, but it was it was like maybe a 12-yard gain. To me... That is what has always separated Eli Manning from other quarterbacks. And let me try and define this. It's simply that he's willing to look like an idiot. And he does that in the – and I think in the postseason, if you really separate out, there's probably like two throws that separate him to be defined as a clutch player. Yeah, the helmet 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 throw and and the Manningham Manningham catch. And to me, those are representative of – a guy, and he does this throughout the season, which I think leads to him having more interceptions and being mediocre. Is he just doesn't throw the ball away very often, or he doesn't take a sack? He'd rather just like lob the ball into the middle of the field. He's a gunslinger, but it's like even it's different than just Brett Favre gunslinging. Like sometimes he throws the ball up in the air without any seemingly any destination because he'd rather do that on a third and twelve than take a sack and just punt it. I appreciate this about this about him, but I can understand how it would lead to really bad numbers. And to me, that that decision-making that he engages in, which is like, I guess what, what, what I define it as is a decision to always take the risk, always make the throw, regardless of whether it chalks up as poor in your stats. That's what's always separated him in the postseason, too. And it's worked out well. It's, it's worked key, out well at timing. Right. Yes, at these key moments, but it's not like it's just he randomly did that because it's the Super Bowl. Like he does that all the time. Okay, real quick, and then we should move on. We I could do a whole segment on this. We actually do have to whole, do a whole segment on sacks <laughs> and how they're actually viewed within like the Stats smart people goal. world. Yeah. Is Eli Manning a Hall of Famer? You're asking the wrong person. You're ask, I'm asking his biography. I, <laughs> I, I, my dad would be really upset now. I don't think he's a Hall of Famer. He is either. And I think. If you had asked me like three, four years ago, I would have said yes. But like these last few years have been pretty indicative of the mediocrity that is Eli Manning. Yeah, it's almost like he played too long for his own good. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's better to retire a two bowls, two time <laughs> Super Bowl hero right. than stick around long enough to throw more picks. But I think also the number of quarterbacks that have two Super Bowl championships and aren't in the Hall of Fame is probably just one, right? Jim Plunkett, I think, would be the only one that, that fits yeah, that Jim category. Plunkett. So there is precedent of one uh, for a quarterback to have that many rings and not make the Hall of Fame. So I don't know if being your generation's Jim Plunkett is kind of a compliment, but also not a compliment. I don't know. We'll have to see how the voters feel later. All right, let's leave it there and uh, and bring our lens a bit wider to talk about football league-wide these first couple weeks. But before we do that, let's get a word from one of Hot Takedown's sponsors. Hot Takedown this week is sponsored by 1-800-Flowers. 
When's the last time you let your loved ones know that you are still thinking of them? It's time to do it this week with 1-800-Flowers.com. Nothing tops the excitement of a 1-800-Flowers bouquet. And right now, 1-800-Flowers is giving Hot Takedown listeners an exclusive 36 for 36 offer. It's not 30 for 30. It's not an ESPN sports documentary. It's about 36 autumn roses for just $36. That is only a dollar per rose. It's a beautiful arrangement of red, orange, and yellow roses. That's the autumn part of the 36 autumn roses. These gorgeous roses from 1-800-Flowers are picked at their peak and shipped overnight to ensure freshness. Every bouquet is backed by 1-800-Flowers' 100% smile guarantee. In the flower game, there is 1-800-Flowers.com, and then there is everybody else. To order 36 autumn roses for only $36, go to 1-800-Flowers.com. Click the radio icon and enter code TAKEDOWN. That's 1-800-Flowers.com, code TAKEDOWN. And don't forget to do it soon. The offer ends this Friday. Okay, now on to the first couple weeks of the NFL season, which have been... Pretty unremarkable, I think, is the best word for it. There have been a couple decent games. Uh, the opener, I thought, was a really interesting game with the Chiefs and the Patriots. There have been uh, uh, there was there were a couple good games as well along the way. But eight games have been decided by more than 20 points through the first two weeks. It's double last year's total over that time span. And the average margin of victory, so the gap between the winning and the losing team, has uh, gone up in the first 30 games or the first two weeks of the season where the games are being decided by 12.9 points. And the first two weeks in 2016, that margin was 8.9 points. So that's, what, a 50-ish percent increase. Along with that, we've seen some quarterbacks struggle that, you know, have not always struggled. We just talked about Eli Manning. Andy Dalton is has apparently reverted to the quarterback we all thought Andy Dalton was before Andy Dalton became Before 2015, good. he started 10-3. Yeah. And, and with a giant contract to, uh, to go along with it, although now it's cheap by... By comparison standards. And so our colleague uh, at ESPN, Bill Barnwell, sort of took on this argument that the quality play is suffering and and took it apart in lots of different ways. And I think we should talk about those ways that they took it apart. But, Kate, before we get there, this quality of play argument is something we've heard before. It's like, especially, I think, with so much swirling around the NFL, uh, with concussions and Kaepernick and whatever else, it's easy to, to try and, like, say, well, you know what? the NFL isn't even good to watch anymore. So why would you go ahead and watch it when there's so much off-the-field drama That's as well as domestic violence stuff with Ezekiel Elliott? And so is this a sort of like a, the sharks are, are rushing to, to, to take a bite just because there's a little bit of blood in the water but not actually that much? That's, I think that's part of it. I think, I think there's a, a lot of psychology into the cyclical nature of thinking a professional sports league that you watch – that the quality of play is deteriorating. I think some of that is like almost generational. But I think one piece of the NFL and the view that people have of it is just an inability to be charitable when it comes to the NFL. I mean, I think there's a slew of fans who over the last two to three years feel like they've seen the NFL expose itself to the kind of underbelly that actually exists and that it's a league that treats its players poorly compared to other leagues. It's a league that has in so many ways been clear about its priorities being money and owners. And I think because of that, we have a less charitable outlook when it comes to the NFL. I think when I look at other sports leagues, both baseball, basketball, 
I usually give them the benefit of the doubt. And I don't do that with the NFL. And I think there are some fans who are like, yeah, they 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 want to plant the seed and they're looking at the NFL through the lens of I don't like this league as much as I used to and I want to try to prove that it is deteriorating in some way, even if it's not. What's also interesting to me is that the deterioration here is based on this idea that games are blowouts. But I'm not sure that means that the NFL is broken. I mean, parity in the NFL is is a somewhat recent phenomenon, and Barnwell outlines this. The games have been getting closer as, as time has gone on. And it could just mean that Let's say defenses are getting better, right? There, there's lots of different parts of the game, and for some reason we're fixated on this idea that because quarterbacks maybe have more complete passes, and, and Neil, I'm curious if that's even the case, that somehow the, the NFL is broken. Right, like what's the metric to decide that the quality of play is deteriorating? Right. Well, I think uh, there isn't really a metric because it's all a closed system, right? Like the you can never tell whether or not, you know, for instance, say scoring is down. You can't ever be able to tell whether or not that's because offenses suck or because defenses have gotten better. Uh, and so I think we're, we always kind of end up kind of chasing our tails and trying to go around in circles on this because we don't have an objective way to necessarily look at it. And when you do try to bring out objective things, like for instance, Chad, you mentioned, you know, quarterback accuracy or, or some such, the percentage of throws that are off target in 2017, according to ESPN stats and info is actually significantly down, uh, down by one full percentage point from 17.5% a year ago to 16.5% this year. So in other words, quarterbacks are, uh, according to this somewhat objective measure, at least, they're throwing the ball more accurately now than they did uh, a year ago. And they're also throwing the ball, you know, roughly as deep down the field, uh, according to yards in the air. So those are two, just two measures that you could use uh, to try to judge whether quarterbacks are playing worse this year. Another thing, like you mentioned, the blowouts, uh, this is, uh, you know, through two weeks, the average uh, margin of victory for a winner of an NFL game is 12.9 points per game, uh, which is above the norm going back to 1990, but not that much above the norm. And in fact, the uh, according to our ELO metric, uh, which is the power rating of, of each team, the expected point differential uh, per game in these first two weeks has been bigger than in past years because there have been more lopsided matchups between two teams of differing qualities. Uh, not to say that that explains completely some of the blowouts that we've seen, but it's another way in which if you look at the numbers, it doesn't really back up the idea that play is slipping. So it seems like, you know, with what you're saying, and then also in Bill Barnwell's article, he debunks this notion that the quality of play is slipping, which then raises the question of why do we continually think when we watch the NFL, there seems to be two things. One, we always have this argument, like, is the quality of play deteriorating? And then two, that quarterbacks right now in the NFL are at a talent level that's so much lower than they used to be in different generations. And real quick, just to give the yeah. evidence at Barnwell sites, just because it helps. So he points out that turnovers aren't uh, up overall this year compared compared to other years. So it's not sloppy play, right. right? And then he and then he points out that this idea that we need to have thirty two incredibly functioning quarterbacks ignores that there can only be sixteen above average or however many above fifteen, I guess, above average quarterbacks, depending on where you put average sixteen, I guess, and that. To your point, Neil, about the closed system, someone's got to be bad. 
Or else the Lake Wobegon. Well, I guess you could have the defenses be really bad. You could have three two incredible quarter. But then people would complain about that, right? But if, if teams were giving up fifty points a game, I think we'd get kind of tired of that. The NFL eventually. has gone soft. Yeah, exactly. I mean, this is always uh, something that comes up, not just in football, but in all sports, where we try to make these arguments that, like these sentiment-driven arguments of, well, in my day, well, you know, things were so much better, slash tougher, slash, you know, uh, we see it in the NBA, right? You know, the veterans uh, or you know retired players coming out against the Warriors and being like, oh, the Warriors would lose by 40 to our Chicago Bulls and, and this, that, and the other. It's just this, like, hindsight, this, this like, historical bias, I guess. Yeah, I think that was one of the psychological points I was going to make was that if you say now who has, who is making this argument that the quality of play has deteriorated, probably people who have come of age in this, the NFL analyst sports media world 35 to 40, and their argument is that the teams that they love 25 years Growing ago, up when they were whenever. 10 or 12, were so much more talented. And I think there's a lot at play there. One is like the historical bias. Two is, if I think back about who I watched during that time period of my life, like ages 10 to 12, I really have no idea what I'm watching. My takeaway <laughs> is emotional. You weren't having a hot take down style conversation about whatever right, you're watching. Right, like it's basically the same philosophy is like you go back and you see your childhood gym when you were 10 or 12 and you're like oh my goodness this thing is so small right you have this sense that like oh quarterbacks in the 90s like there was just a proliferation of talent when really you were watching it from an emotional standpoint that's all you can recollect and you remember the good ones and you're like oh they were all as good as marino and elway and this that and the other and you don't remember uh you know the mediocre quarterbacks of that era and barnwell rattles off some quarterbacks uh who i think Eric Kramer was one who started, and he was probably one of the better quarterbacks uh, in in one of the seasons that he looked at. Uh, So I think it's the same with, again, like a lot of things that we see in not just sports but pop culture also, where it's like, why does music suck so much nowadays? Well, when you think about previous eras, you're thinking about the hits, the songs that kind of stood the test of time, and they're great songs. You don't think about the forgettable songs that fell off the Billboard charts after like one week, uh, and the same goes for NFL quarterbacks. You're not thinking about the, you know, some of the worst quarterbacks in the league. You're thinking about the best. And jumping off of that, I think when we make these quality of play arguments, I wonder if we're also only pinpointing the key marquee games and assessing them. So if like early on in the season, the Monday night game and the marquee games during the week or weekend our blowouts, like that's what we highlight in our mind as opposed to actually looking at the slew of large sample. We kind of remember the emotional high moments and we're like, oh, well, yeah, like think back over the last three weeks. Like, there was the blowout to this. There was a blowout to that. And they happen to be the peak games where there's more emotion and eyeballs on them. So I understand what you guys are saying. Yes. However, I think we can all say that watching the NBA right now is incredibly pleasing. It's aesthetically pleasing. You are. Are you remembering it. the playoffs now, or are you thinking all season long? Yeah, I can. I can definitely talk about games that you know a random February regular season game <laughs> that is not exciting. You know, if we're talking about the finals, then yeah. But even those, you know, the finals were not. Yeah. Uh, you know. Uh, 
tightly fought seven game affair. The basically your thing your it seems like you're saying the Warriors are playing amazing basketball, which is true, but you know, so, so am I just like letting the top, like even the top four, four teams conflate right. my understanding? You're like, we love watching Russell Westbrook, right? And there's just like, an excitement <laughs> in watching him play no matter what. But it's like, that's like 7% of a night's games, you know? So, so you're, I was going to lead up to asking, like, is there a way to measure quality of play in any sport? But because of this closed system, what you, Neil, I think what, if I understand correctly, you would argue no. Well, I mean, there are some ways that have been attempted in which, uh, Nate Silver did one where he, for baseball, where he looked at, you know, if, if you have the same group of players and one, uh, you know, they play in season A and they also play in season B. These are back to back seasons. And you know how players tend to age between seasons, so you can kind of control for that. And then you look at the numbers that that group of players put up in season A and season B. And if they put up better numbers in season B than A, then it stands to reason that season B was easier to put up numbers in and was therefore kind of an inferior quality of league because it's the same group of guys. We've adjusted for age and they're hitting better than they should uh and and you can kind of do this and do this like daisy chain of seasons all the way from like the early 1900s until the present day and try to figure out roughly what the quality of play is between seasons but i get the sense that that is not exactly what any of these arguments are are talking about as much and that it is more of an aesthetic thing and also i mean again like you said kate these arguments are being made Almost like you come to the conclusion that the NFL is uh, a worse product now for political reasons or for sentimental reasons or for whatever reason you want. And then you try to reverse engineer some evidence to try to kind of make your case of why that might be true. I don't know how it relates, but like I feel like the most the most aggressive quality of play argument that I've heard over the last decade is that the WNBA is a terrible quality of play. And I think that's more about storytelling and politics and cultural, factors and, and cultural factors than it is about actual tangible evidence that the quality of play is inferior. I'm not, I'm not talking about athleticism. I'm just talking about like sh- made shots and yeah. skill level. What I sort of want is like a quiz. A quality a of quiz, play metric? Well, quiz for lack of a better term in which I could tell you what my good mm-hmm. football looks like, let's say. My good football looks like fewer um, off-mark passes, whatever that stat was that you mentioned earlier. Off-target. Off-target. Off-mark. Tie, off, off mark. Tie, tight games that where the margin of victory is within one touchdown on average. But not tied games. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah, no draws. Um, that it's, uh, that it's a, a, a defensive – oh, my God. What's, don't tell me the acronym. After all this time on Hot Takedown, the Football Outsiders metric that we oh. talked about on that School many times. DVOA? DVOA. Oh, Yay! my God. Woo! That was so good. Um, I really just crazy. feigned ignorance so you could look really thank smart. Thank you, thank yeah. you. I feel smart. Um, where the DVOA, it was blah, blah. I don't know what the average would be. And then and then I would be able to slide that around and 538 would tell me, your your ideal time to watch football was 1973, young 
young gun. And you so you really like uh, running the ball a lot then. Sure. And like, and I put in my agent and it says, you missed your era by 25 years. Or uh, yeah, and I think that that gets at uh, some of these criticisms is, uh, like you had mentioned also, Kate, that like the era of football in which you either grew up and, and it was formative for you as a fan, or if you're an ex-player that you played in and kind of learned the fundamentals of the game through the prism of – is going to fundamentally change how you view the game going forward and deviations from what you consider to be kind of the true pure sport of football uh, or whatever it is, uh, the more it differs from that, the more you're going to think something is wrong instead of thinking something's just different or evolving. Even though I know once you break it down that margin of victory isn't necessarily an assessment of quality of play because I can see how be a 20-point blowout, but there would be on-target passes there wouldn't be a bunch of missed tackles I can from one team yes from one team I can see how margin of victory is a very rough metric to assess quality of play because what you're really saying is enjoyment of viewing and I think the key thing people think of is tension when it comes to knowing who's going to win and who's not going to win and prolonging the not knowing for as long as possible in a game like generally speaking we would say UConn women's basketball, because their margin of victory is so big, that's not as entertaining of a product to watch over a 30-game season. So I see, I do see how, from a very like layman's point of view, you could say close games equal entertaining football. End and, of story. And the NFL has traditionally been kind of the best uh, sports league of the of the big four North American ones at having this kind of parody that sets up these close games and, and tries to create, like you said, uh, the, the any given Sunday mentality. And so, you know, it, when you look at games being even like kind of slightly less uh, close than in the past, maybe you think the NFL is slipping in its mission to try to create this perfect era of parody. But I think also, you know, maybe we were spoiled when we saw situations in which, you know, teams were kind of coming out of nowhere and, and winning and, and kind of, you know, you felt like there was that sense that any team could win and that the games were going to be close because of that uh, and, and that that was the exception and not the rule. All right. Let's leave it there. I thought that was interesting. I sort of want to see this. I want to know what my era is. Now. Yeah, I, I like think we should find my definitely team, find in my the mid-90s in every sport. In just any sport. <laughs> but only because there's a slider in there for the use of purple and teal. Mm-hmm. And uh, <laughs> well, uh, They're bringing it back. Bring it back. There you let's, go, Chad. Let's talk about our signal. They did it when a telling number from the world of sports is delivered to us. Neil, are you doing the delivery or am I? I can. I don't have it in want. front of me. I think okay. you should, Neil. I, I can do this. I think it should be the one in 52,000 or whatever it was. Sure. Uh, okay. Do you so, want a vamp or do you want to take it? A, a no, I've, I've got this. Right. I got this, Chad. <laughs> we, we, don't have to, we don't have to cut anything. Uh-huh. Um, You're not vamping at all right so now. The, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So the number is uh, one in 66,000, and those are the odds that a generic kind of contending quality MLB team would be able to pull off the Cleveland Indians streak of 22 consecutive victories, which ended, I want to say, Friday night and and had kind of 
covered more than three consecutive weeks on the calendar uh, of them winning consecutively. Uh, and the way I came to that was I did this thing where basically I took all of the long streaks, so 18 or more games in baseball history, and used our ELO system once more to figure out who the teams played against, how good were the pitchers that they faced, were the games at home or on the road. Fun fact, the 1916 New York Giants, who have the record for the longest streak, 26 straight wins, uh, they played all of those games at home, Twenty, <laughs> at least 26 games in a row at home. Uh, there's got to be a story there, which uh, I have not delved deeply into. But the point is, when you do that and then you plug in our generic team's rating, you can get a probability of uh, a generic team you know good team quality team rattling off as many wins in a row as these teams actually did and the Cleveland Indians when you make some adjustments for rotation size and the fact that uh, there's been more parity in baseball recently than say in the early 20th century you get one in 66,000 is the odds that a generic good team would would win 22 straight in 2017 the odds for the New York Giants were only one in 35,000 because they had a four man rotation and they played in an era I mean, that's kind of the implicit assumption or or at least the fact that there are, you know, the the wider the distribution of talent in baseball, the more likely you're going to have good teams and also the more likely you're going to have bad teams that you can clean up against, especially when you play 26 frigging games in a row at home. What I find fascinating is even that number in my mind, one in 66,000, I can't even place it. Because it's not one in ten million or one in a billion. I don't know. With one in sixty-six thousand, does that mean that there have been over the course of Major League Baseball history, all of the teams, all of the seasons, have there been sixty-six thousand seasons? No, it's a good question because, like, what happens one in sixty-six thousand of the time? Uh, Of what? Like Donald Trump won when we said that he had a one in uh, four or five chance of of winning, something like twenty-three percent, I think, Um, and so. You know that I need more one in sixty six thousand things. I'm not yeah. that anybody can come what's up with cha- it. What's your chance? What's your chance of getting struck by lightning or whatever or something <laughs> like that? Right. Yeah, and and it should also be pointed out that you know if you were really doing this and trying to find the odds, you would do the odds that any team, not just. Uh, you know, kind of this generic good quality of, right? team. Like, I did, cut, yeah, like a contending team. I okay. took the average ELO rating of teams that participated in the World Series and okay. sort of set that as the as the number. But really, this you know sweepstakes to to win this many games in a row uh, is open to all teams mm-hmm. theoretically, and so. You know, ideally, I would have put those in also. And there's also nothing special about 22 games or 26 games. What about the odds of a 24-game streak, which has never happened in Major League Baseball? So you can kind of play with it that way uh, and, and and reduce the, you know, kind of make it uh, more common if you did that because there's a lot of things that we haven't even thought of that are possible to happen that are comparable to something like this, but I didn't take the exact odds of because they haven't happened yet and I didn't. Chad's got some things. Some some context, you know, some helpful context. This, according to National Geographic News, which is associated with the media brand and done in concert with the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration. You, Kate Fagan. Uh Well, I don't know about you because you have various different factors. Blah blah. A person has in the U.S. has a one in seven hundred thousand chance of being struck by lightning in any given year. You have a one in three thousand chance of being struck in your lifetime. Oh wow, that 
that common, huh? I mean, that seems... Because you yeah. live for lots of years. I guess. Wow. Okay. I mean, I think it depends how much time you spend in the planes. But uh, So it's like 20 times more likely that I get struck by lightning over the course of my lifetime than the Cleveland Indians pulling off 22 Let that tuck you wins. in at night. <laughs> Put that in your back pocket. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, Neil, thanks for that, uh, that sig dig. Thanks, Chad. Let's hope none of us get struck by lightning. Nope. That'll do it for this week's show. Kay Fagan, my voice is cracking with sadness. This is the second to last time I get to say that. Thanks for talking about sports with us. Thanks, Chad. Neil Payne, pleasure as always. Thanks, Chad. Our podcast producer is Katie Ferguson. Our intern is Kate back to Yorova. We got production assistance from Tony Chow. You can email us at podcast at 538.com. We'd love to hear what you think. Find us on your favorite podcasting app for just one more week, and then this feed will roll over into the new feed. Still trying to come up with a good name. Still don't have a name for the next it's, podcast? It's hard. Not all of us have free cookies just sitting around in our pocket. That is a great <laughs> name for a podcast, free cookies. Um, free basketballs. Currently, the working title is 538's NBA Podcast. No. So oh, boy. I need some help. There's some work to do. We are uh, on iTunes, iTunes.com slash 538, which I think it's now called Apple Podcasts. Anyway. While you're there, review and or rate the show. Give us a little swan song, a little kiss goodbye. Uh, it helps others discover the program this final, this final week. Last this, week. This, this, this readout is a little funny to read when, when podcast is coming to an end. Our theme song is by Mystery Mansion. I'm Chadwick Matlin. Talk to you next time.